0: Uh, Finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. As many of you know, I spent about eight years living in Boston in the late... 2000s, early 2010s, and uh, worked in the entertainment industry while I was there, and got to meet quite a few interesting people during my time. Uh, Clay Fernald, who uh, I'm interviewing for this episode of Detoxicity, is one of those people that I must have met. He was the talent booker for the Middle East Nightclub for 16 years, uh, including the entire time I was in Boston from 2008 to, to, to 2015. And uh, that was a place that I went to a lot. I saw a lot of shows. So he and I absolutely 100% bumped into each other, probably a few times. And uh, that said, I didn't get to like meet him, meet him, know him in person until a couple of years later when I was moderating a mental health panel at uh, the Mondo Fest here in Brooklyn and got to meet him there. And from there, a friendship was born. And finally, we have him on the Detoxicity Podcast. Now, Clay, in addition to uh, being the booker and uh, promo guy at the Middle East, uh, has over 20 years of experience in the music industry. Uh, he is a podcast host. He hosts uh, The League Podcast, which is a comic-based podcast. Uh, he has his own Substack, uh, Clay Inferno at Substack.com. Um, He is a huge pop culture geek. Uh, He is a video editor. He's a producer. He does a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, we get to talk about lots of things, including work-life balance. Uh, Clay's really started doing his own thing as sort of an independent contractor. And we discuss sort of divesting from the corporate grind and grinding on your own and the satisfaction that that brings. Uh, We talk about taking a vacation which is something that a lot of us people who work a lot don't do as much as we should. Uh, We also talk a lot about sobriety. Uh, Clay is alcohol-free and has been for a while, and we talk about what led him to that point. And it's just a great conversation. It's an easy conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So everybody, whether you call him Clay Fernald or Clay Inferno, here he is. Hey,
1: everybody. I'm Clay Fernald, a.k.a. Clay Inferno. I'm a music and event promoter. I live in Boston, Mass, and I'm very interested in the idea of compassion and empathy in the music industry and the various hustle jobs that we have in our lives. And I'm also interested in these great podcasts that, that Mike has been doing, and I'm honored to be
0: on the show. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm thankful to have you. We met. I, I See, here's the thing. I lived in Boston for a <laughs> long time, and you're an event promoter. There is no way that in the eight years I lived in Boston, you and I did not meet at least once before. Like It's impossible.
1: That is true. And I I will say it's, it's a blessing and a curse for context. I was put on the cover of the Boston Phoenix as being the most popular man in Boston. And I worked at the nightclub called the Middle East for almost 20 years. And I met so many wonderful, awesome people. I'm also, one of those people that can never remember names, really. But if I were to see your face out in the wild, let's say, I would definitely say that we probably did run into other. So I completely agree with that. But also I've noticed because I pay attention to the media and, and I'm also a writer and, and things like that. I've noticed your name and I've noticed the great work you've been doing for the past five years or so. Because I review a lot of event listings and I saw that you had hosted lots of cool panels and things like that. So I'm familiar with you in kind of an admirer from afar and noticing sure. what you're doing and following your stuff. So I'm sure we met in person, but I'm really glad to be here, honestly.
0: Yeah. And the one time I actually know for certain you and I met in person was during one of those panel discussions, because you were doing audio or recording. You might have actually been recording video, if I remember correctly, at at one of the panel discussions I did. I don't remember if it was New Colossus Festival or one of the things in New York that I was doing. That's how I found out who you were and started checking you out on social media and all that stuff. But that's all irrelevant. No, it's I'm- good.
1: Why I think it's actually important because I feel like there's a lot of these are the kinds of relationships that we have nowadays. I consider the people that I subscribe to their sub stack or I've listened to their podcast for 10 or 15 years. I consider them my friends. And they play
0: more of a role in my life sometimes even than members of my own family. Oh, I feel same. like it's important. Same. I'm curious how you ended up getting into music in the first place. What was your entryway? I've never played an instrument per se. Uh, I've always
1: been more of a front man. And if I were to go back to the nineties, I went to Mass the Massachusetts College of Art. I'm from the Boston area, 20 minutes south of Boston, a little town called Abington, which the reason I mentioned that is because, the guys I've been doing my podcast with since 2009, we reconnected after not seeing each other for 15 years. This is a short version of the story, but we all grew up together and we're still such good friends after the big pause in between there. But anyways, I went to MassArt and I studied interrelated media, which basically meant I got to do whatever I wanted. So I started painting and I was doing a lot of spoken word performances. And then I started promoting music shows and, forming bands and getting into the music business that way. Then one fateful day, I was doing a really terrible temp job in book publishing that was really, really boring in the back bay. Mm -hmm. And i had always bugged my friend Chris over at the Middle East. If there's anything ever opens up for me there, can you please let me know? And I would love to work the door. So this is probably around 2001. And the music business career and marketing and show promotion stuff all started there in 2001. I started learning how to run a nightclub venue, how to do publicity and press and marketing for shows. And I've been doing that for 20 plus years now, I guess. So it worked out. What do you enjoy the most about it? I do think about that because I really love that part of my job. I'm one of these people now that I'm working freelance pretty much this year for the first time ever, 100% full-time job, like not punching the clock for anyone, just making my own money with certain freelance clients and things like that. And when I say that freelance clients, I also include the great partners that I work with to produce and, and make comedy shows happen. I work for other people. But I still work for myself in a way. I get to dedicate time to really work with financial backers of things that I'm interested in as well. I'm really lucky to partner with people that that have the money to make shows happen that I want to see happen. And then I really love the hospitality aspect of... When a comedian comes to town or a famous podcast comes to town and I'm the point of contact. Like I've been on the road with bands and I know what it's like when you get out of the tour bus and you roll into a venue and everybody's nice that day and everything's cool and they have laundry and they have stuff that you didn't expect to see and they have like special candies for everybody. I like to make that experience from my time on the road be like what happens when artists that I care for and love and respect come to town it like honestly brings me such joy and then we have a fun show and it's great it's just something about that making people feel comfortable is really
0: important to me and uh, i really do like that part of my job in a weird way does that extrapolate into your regular life like your non-work life the wanting to make people comfortable is work clay and personal clay is there that overlap there I don't really have
1: a, a split personality like that. And I would probably just counter that to say that when you get me and uh, the year of our Lord, whatever time it is right now, when you get me, you're getting my authentic self, no matter what time of day what time of year I'm not saying I don't get frustrated and things don't happen or that particular days aren't pretty bad I had a pretty stressful day the other day I wasn't my best that day but I would like to think that you get me 100% of the time and the things to me that are important are family and caring for my my dad I'm not like he's a caretaker I just I love my dad so much <laughs> that I have a standing appointment. I don't do anything else on Saturday afternoons or Saturday morning, 11 o'clock to noon or one. Even sometimes we talk for a long time. I have a standing appointment to talk to my dad. And and I see him. He lives close until my mom died in 2016. And then he sold the house and he moved up a little bit closer to my sister. He's getting older and he has his own little house. And honestly, he's a happy single widower. And I think that he's happy because He's surrounded by love, and of course, he misses my mom, as we all do, but I'm so proud of him when he's like, couldn't figure out how to print something on his I- iPad yesterday, so I said, Dad, write down this on his little post-it note. Look on YouTube how to screenshot on iPad. Don't do it while I'm on the phone with you. You'll get frustrated. Just just look it up on YouTube. And he like sent me an email back that work. That was awesome. Great idea. <laughs> he likes to fish and he taught me the teacher man to fish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's such a small thing, but I could cry about it because I'm so proud of my dad for really being strong and also sensitive and not weak, but honestly, like he loves my mom so much. He's one of those guys that's not going to get remarried at 82 or something. He has a great reverence for the relationship he had with my mom. And they both taught me about treating people with respect. And like I said, I'm not perfect. I'm stressed, or I can't deal with people, or I'm short of people sometimes. But honestly, I feel like the clay that I am now projects love and care for people. And if I make a mistake, I say I'm sorry. And I just try to keep it really,
0: really simple like that. And it's hard, but I do it. I have so much respect for that. And it also sounds like you had a fantastic role model in your father. So kudos to him.
1: I did. And my mom too. But my relationship with my dad wasn't always like this. Certainly had gotten better over the course of the years. But my relationship with both my parents was fraught. They were worried about me. They took out life insurance policies on me when they thought I was doing... Too much E in the 90s And going to raves And I was partying within my limits But now I look back on that And I see why they do that And I have compassion for them And I don't have any regrets at all Because I have a mantra from this band And it's the dumbest band People make fun of me for liking them But the band 311 They have a song And the lyrics are You gotta trust your instincts And let go of regret And ever since I heard that lyric I've lived by that And I regret making my parents feel so worried about me that they thought that I was going to maybe overdose and die. And maybe they were really g- g- right about that, but there's nothing I can do about that. I can't go back and change those feelings. And I got myself out of it. And when my mom was alive, they got to see me get sober. And because my dad and I's relationship is a little bit like he's also somebody that drinks and he got told that he couldn't drink anymore or because it would kill him basically so my dad and i have actually had like a good amount of time sober together but when the both of us were drinking it wasn't always great and i resented him for like whatever he thought about politics or whatever now i just think that that is so silly and the important part is just being with people while they're here while you can enjoy their company whether you agree with them or not <laughs>
0: so i wow. think i wonder Because you've brought sobriety up a couple of times already Mm. over the course of our conversation. Was there a particular moment that told you that you didn't need to drink or do whatever you were doing anymore? Or was it a gradual thing?
1: They call that hitting bottom for those that maybe have heard the term and don't exactly know what it means. Because I know that I've pretended to know a lot of things in my life. And that's an important one to know. I can't make Mike go to AA unless... You really want to go. So I knew it was an option. And it was a combination of psychotherapy, talking therapy. And I was in that for a long time and had some great therapists. But I was still actively drinking. I didn't use hard drugs or anything. I used to go to raves and go on the spectrum a little bit harder than just weed and drinking. Let's just say that. So... I was seeing this therapist, and she was wonderful older lady, and she really challenged me. I was complaining about the dumb things like work, and this person said this, and these grievances. And she said something that was really powerful, and I always try to recreate the situation, but I feel like I don't explain it that well. (laughs) But she said, I won't treat you anymore. Unless you go to an AA meeting. Because in the 12-step, they don't say you're going to AA. Like, you might go to rehab for X amount of days. As long as you can take it 12 days, 28 days, whatever. But if you're going to a meeting for NA, OA, AA. The thing is to just go to a meeting. And I was basically like, can we swear on your podcast? You can. Yes, please. I encourage you. I was like... Fuck you, lady, for telling me that I need to go. What? The reverse psychology of it worked so well that I resentfully went to that first AA meeting to prove to her that I could do it, not because I needed to be there. And that worked because I stuck around and I went to the gnarliest. A.A. meeting when I went to my first one It's a place called St. Elizabeth's Hospital It's right down the street from where I live now I'm familiar de- Yeah, the, the What is it called? C-PAC? C-CAP? It's, that's where they go Where you have to get chemically detoxed Out of you And part of that chemical detox thing When your body is physically able to Go to your first meeting There's one right in the cafeteria There at St. Elizabeth's Hospital and AA meetings are open to all. So guess what? That was the closest meeting to me. And my friend, my roommate, who was my drinking buddy, I was so embarrassed that I snuck out of the house. And you might have a screen door, and it makes a little extra a flap little, when yeah. you go out the front door. <laughs> I was so quietly, I got my leather jacket on, hoodie on, and I snuck out of the house to go to an AA meeting. Because I was in so much pain. I didn't realize it. And I'm sure that my friend would have been proud of me for saying I'm going up there. But I thought he was going to be like, you're a wimp. You're a pussy. Why don't you just have a beer instead? I was embarrassed. But I went and it,
0: and it worked. That's awesome. There are a few questions running through my head right now. And one is, you've been sober, you said 15 years, right? It's going on about 12, I think. Okay. 12, right. we, 13 We'll round years. that up and say
1: 15. <laughs> yeah, the real AA heads, they will they be able to tell you right off the top of their head. I think it was 2009. Okay. Uh, my sobriety date is close to my birthday. My birthday is October 6th, and my sobriety date, which some people call your other birthday, is October 13th. So I usually have a sober party that nice. <laughs> that whole week. But yeah, 2009. So it's been a while.
0: Right on. Congratulations. Thank you. And you work in nightlife, so I wonder how much of a struggle it is for you to be around people who are drinking responsibly or irresponsibly. Is that a difficult thing for you? You're smart there. A distinction that people don't
1: usually ask because that is a very common question, I get. But the way you asked it was so smart because there is two types of people in your scenario. There's people that are drinking irresponsibly <laughs> and then there's people that are drinking I'm I'm at the family cookout. Of course, I want my my wife's new husband to have a beer. He doesn't drink by the way. Okay. But why would I judge that? Everyone's right. just having some hot dogs or whatever. It took me a while to sort of get there. My friends used to have these big huge parties for somebody's birthday at the place that I was living, the place I snuck out of. So after I got sober, I would draw a pretty clear line. And I would actually just go away for that weekend because I didn't want to be around my closest friends in the world, all drinking, because that just means my defenses are way down. Sure. Because I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to say, what is this? And this is very early sobriety first one or two years. Um, And then actually, that's a pretty easy habit to stick to. And then people sort of remember, oh, Clay's probably not coming to this because we're having a kegger and they don't mind that I'm not there. (laughs) And then there's a scenario where I'm at a concert. Let's say one of the bands I work with has a lot of sober people in it too, by the way, is an Irish punk band from Boston. And a lot of the songs are about drinking, right? Well, guess what? My support system in that band is the sober guys in the band. (laughs) okay and it's our job to protect the band from their drunken fans sure but guess what's part of their job talking to their drunken fans (laughs) what was part of my job at the nightclub dealing with the drunken guy that won't leave but being nice and compassionate and calling them a cab so it's actually kind of like to hang out with people that i know are getting drunk that are, that are my friends. I know that they're safe and they're not driving. I like it because I get to live a little vicariously through them and just say, no, I, I'm good. I have my ice, yeah, I have my yerba mate here. I'm good. And then some people always kind of recoil. They want to replace their good time they're having with the booze with some weird substitute for me. Like I could try to melt some popsicles in a... cup for you or something it's always like some weird thing when people don't know how to do it all of that stuff comes from love i'm surrounded by love wherever i go surrounded by sober people wherever i go and i don't have a problem with people drinking i like that there's a lot of ubers and stuff now people can get home safely yeah the younger kids like my nieces and their boyfriends and if i have interns or younger people that like work for me They don't go as hard as me and my friend used to go. So I'm just like, God bless you. You can have three beers and not 30 in the course of a night. Wow. So I can hang. I I can't really be a bartender. I was a bartender for uh, a while there at the beginning. I don't really like doing that. That's a little too close to the fire, too. My friend has this big fest in my friend's name. Everybody brings things, and they're showing ridiculously oversized bottles of booze. And I love... All of those pictures, I like all of them when I see them that day, but that used to be at my house, and I don't go to that party ever. (laughs) They don't expect to see me there. Right. Uh, Do you still go to meetings? I will admit that there's never a cure in AA, but after the pandemic, I did a couple of the Zoom meetings things. And I'm actually, I'm open about this. I'm atheist agnostic. So there was an atheist agnostic meeting that I go to, which was really rare in AA and really pretty kind of punk rock and what attracts me to it. Yeah. But some people in AA think that that's not real. It's a bizarre infighting kind of thing. It means nothing because all of these people that are also atheist agnostic or don't choose to bring a higher power to their sobriety Still need a place to go. And guess what? Those are my people. Amen that to that. Meant, or not. Not amen. Yes. Un- see? Un- amen. I'm
0: glad you un- caught amen.
1: me there, Clay. <laughs> that meeting has not come back after the pandemic. It's like a Zoom thing. I'm not going to say I'm never going to another meeting. I haven't been to a meeting in a while. But I see the people... That are in my life. They're important. These little kind of angels pop up in your life when you get sober. You go, oh, I forgot that that guy was sober. Because they'll talk to you about it once they hear that you're sober for a few days or a month. And Oh, my God. Yeah, I guess I, I never really noticed that person never drank. And then you talk to each other and you support
0: each other. That's amazing. And I just lost my question. So... I'm trying to remember the specific panel that you were filming that I met you at, and it had to have been a mental health panel, because that's kind of all I do (laughs) in terms of panels. And I'm wondering how much to tie sobriety into it. And you've Mm -hmm. talked about therapy as well. Mm -hmm. I guess, did the sobriety and the mental health acknowledgement go hand in hand? Because one big reason for this podcast is to promote the fact that Men in particular need to be more open about the mental health challenges that they experience. Yes. Because anyone says that they haven't experienced depression or anxiety, they're lying. But what for you was it like going through the process of discovering that you needed mental health help, whether it be talk therapy or whatever? I'm going to go back to the period of my life, say maybe even
1: high school the psychotherapy and cause I used to be on Zoloft used to pre- be prescribed clonopin which sounds really crazy this all predated any of my realizing I may have a substance abuse issue with alcohol specifically but The doctors gave me stuff because I broke up with my girlfriend and I was depressed or whatever, right? So I'm certainly not taking this down a a dope sick Sackler Brothers thing. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) What I'm saying is that I, I was prescribed anything before I went to therapy. And then at a certain point, I was going to therapy and also being prescribed things. And then I remember I was on something i think it's called paxil for a while and then i went off of that and i was still drinking and smoking weed i was in art school for christ's <laughs> i probably shouldn't have been mixing all these things but it was to deal with my anxiety and depression and i would tell even people that i worked with at the ice cream store i have anxiety and depression i have to take these things and they would be like yeah uh, all right what does that even mean and i'm like i don't know but the doctor told me i needed to take these things And well, you still have to be here at work at 9 a.m. So I don't don't know why you're telling me this. And we are literally talking like 1998, 1999. A lot of years of me dealing with familial alcoholism in my family without dealing with it. On top of my own anxiety and trying to get through art school, trying to survive in the city. And partying and having fun and feeling a great freedom because I wasn't living at home anymore. This went on for like a long time, but then my really good therapist came along many, many years later, 10 years later, maybe. And I left a party one day, or I, I woke up at somebody's house and I felt like I just I can't do this anymore. The thoughts of hurting myself, so instead of hurting myself, I walked right into the hospital. And I said, somebody help me because I'm like, really in a bad place right now. And from them, I got this really awesome, I think she was, like, an intern or so, or I don't know, because I went to the hospital and I didn't have health insurance or something. I had a therapist in training or, or something. Yeah. I don't really know how all that works. Sure. Uh, but they were so great and really helped me process just, like, how you can go back into your life and, like, what happened and what got you to where you are now. And then the last day of this therapy, I always think about this and I've never really had a chance to share it with many other people. But this young woman, she was probably a a couple years older than me at the time. I don't know. Maybe I'm like in my 30s. It, It was our last day because her class was over or something to that effect. She couldn't treat me anymore. I'm not allowed to treat you anymore. We're not allowed to have contact with this anymore. But she made me feel really special and great because she started crying and she's like I've never met anybody like you and she was mourning the loss of our therapy session together it was this crazy weird touching complicated moment and that person really helped me through a lot of stuff and when I go back and think about it I was like we really did good work together here and the next therapist after that was the one that challenged me to go to AA I've never really had a chance to share that story because I guess it's kind of never come up but that was a really powerful moment. I think about it sometimes.
0: And I'm like, "Wow, that was weird, <laughs> but cool." That is a super powerful moment. It's always interesting when you have therapy and, and your practitioner kind of drops their guard a little bit. Mm. And cuz you have to have this as this professional cover that you put on yourself. You don't really want to get too emotionally involved with your patients cuz that that will fuck you up. Yes. I've had this happen maybe once or twice where I'm leaving a therapist and they're like, I really like you. I remember when I moved back to New York from Boston, the therapist that I had at that time in Harvard Square, he was like, I'm going to miss talking to you. And, I, and and it was such a beautiful moment.
1: Right. Um, it really yeah. is. When you said it just like that, I relived those moments
0: myself. Yeah. He was like, if you weren't my patient, we would totally be friends. And right. Was like, yeah. it's like, that. that's a really nice thing to say. We can still be friends, but no, that it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just reminded of another thing.
1: So after the therapist that I credit with getting me sober, I continued the therapy after, because the first year of being sober is really hard. But she got me through that. They call it the pink cloud. People can look that up, what that means things. I haven't really seen the therapist in a long time, but I'm not afraid to go back much like AA meeting i'm not afraid to go back it hasn't worked out pandemic and i've got all other things going on medically and whatnot but this therapist i think she might have even retired but somebody came in to her office for treatment that also needed to be tricked into going to aa (laughs) but she used me as an example and also was kind of reached out to me like since you go to AA, can I give this person your number so that they can call you if they have questions or they can go to a meeting? That's part of the culture of AA is like bringing someone to a meeting and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, that's cool. She's reaching out to me after this therapist relationship is over because I guess we had a connection in that
0: way. And that's I'm so honored when people do stuff like that. Well, it speaks highly to you as... Whatever people are asking you to do for them, that you're a good example of whatever they're trying to put across to the next person.
1: Yeah, but I I, got to tell you, man, as much as that is true, at the same time, I feel like piece of shit, imposter syndrome all the time. Like I say, I'm genuinely my authentic self, but sometimes I have really dark doubts. And then I just try to remember a really good moment and, and go back to them.
0: Yeah, I was going to say say everybody feels imposter syndrome, but saying that takes away from the fact that you're specifically experiencing it. It kind of minimizes that. So I don't want to say that.
1: I listen to a lot of podcasts and people I respect in the music tech journalism industry and to have people I consider my heroes say that they feel the same way as me. Helps me identify. I'm not saying I'm anyone's here, but if you talk about the specificity of men and hustle and grind and toxic work- workplace or whatever it is, it's pretty bad out there for everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> it's pretty bad.
0: I, and that's actually a really good segue because I did want to talk about the fact that you, you're oh. doing your job, you're podcasting, you're doing all of these different things. Mm -hmm. are you able to manage it in a way that doesn't get overwhelming?
1: Let's just split it up into a 40-hour week. Let's say I'm a freelancer, but I work 40 hours a week. First of all, I try to maintain that schedule. I try to work from 10 to 6. I just recently left a position where I was expected to work every day. It meant that I had to be attentive to my email tasks or whatever seven days a week Mm. without and i'm not complaining about the company i'm not complaining about the pay or anything like that but if you just think about that what do we have to do seven days a week we have to eat we have to rest we have to enjoy our time we have to do some productive work do some creative work hopefully working seven days a week doing a particular thing every day is not sustainable. So I, I said, I'm not going to do this. And yesterday was my first day on a new schedule. And guess what? I'm not getting that paycheck anymore. So I have to figure out how I'm going to make up that difference. But it's all right. What I'm getting at is th- that one's gone. So now we have the 40 hours a week of my life that's my working life and what i do is i guess if you think of energy as much of your character has on a video game 20 to 30 maybe even sometimes 40 percent of that 40 hours a week productivity is doing hard creative thoughtful mindful work things I can do that that are me really being creative, whether that's writing, whether it's editing our podcast that no one listens to, whether it's figuring out a cool thing to do to help market uh, a show that my client is paying me for. I want that needle to go from like 20 or 30 to 100% creative work that I like to do. So what keeps me motivated is chipping away at stuff that's just day-to-day whatever maintenance so that stuff is just easy in an autopilot and every moment that i spend finding out what neil hamburger needs for vegan and your mamate in his green room for the show next week That to me is as creative a work as me writing a Substack post or editing my podcast or coming on a guest at someone's podcast. So if I have to suffer and do things that I don't want to do, fill out spreadsheets of reporting for my clients or whatever, yeah, that's fine because I will do that. But all in the way so that I can just say, I'm a creative person for a living. That's what I do. Every choice I make is a creative choice that I made or that I made with my partners in business or in life to enrich life and make it better for people and have entertainment for people and have an honest, good work. And yeah, I work plenty of 16-hour days. If I work a full day of doing office stuff, email marketing, sending out tweets, whatever, and then I have a show... Then I have to do the load in for the show. I have to set up the green room and I have to communicate with the people that are working in the venue. And that might be I start working at 7 a.m. and I'm home at 1 or 2 in the morning. But that's the rich life that I chose. This is what I want to do. So I will never complain about that. And when I'm up late because the episode of the vampire show that we like on TV is up so I want to coordinate the podcast episode and it has to do some final cut editing for the same thing I will stay up till two or three in the morning to get that done for the 15 views that it gets on YouTube just to make sure that we're putting out the best thing that we can and that we can be proud of it and that's just how I manage it I just I just power
0: through it to me there's a really cool and interesting delineation point because I think people celebrate hustle and people celebrate grinding, but there's a difference between hustling and grinding for things that you love doing and hustling and grinding just to say, I hustled and grind so I can make a paycheck. And there's nothing wrong with working practically for a paycheck, but there's a cliche, right? That if you're doing something you love, it doesn't feel like work, which I don't believe is true. Like work is work is work. That, like you said,
1: that's a good headline. I have to fill out the reporting for my clients. Yeah. I fucking don't want to do it. I have to do it. It's a means to an end because yeah. if I send the reporting, then I can also send my invoice.
0: Right, <laughs> yeah. right. So oh, it's a fair enough trade off for me. Right. And the important thing is that the ultimate result brings you joy. You're doing stuff that brings you joy, that fulfills you, that makes you happy. So I think there is a difference that people don't necessarily realize when it comes to like, I forget what the hell this stupid saying is rise and grind is a difference. Yes. Between that. And- so
1: there's a toxicity to that culture too. Yeah. I agree with some of the things I say. And I think that this joy that I'm talking with you about getting my stars up to a hundred percent creative fun work. And guess what? Filling out the reporting for that campaign might be part of the hundred percent. If I can make it, if I'm listening to a podcast I really like and I'm looking at Instagram, stats, so it's actually very easy yeah. to get through that type of work. I also want to distinct that I don't want people to do everything that I do or what I say. Like I kind of get that thing when teachers or parents would say, do as I do not as I say, because I've only gotten to this point of joy in my work by doing a couple of things. One by saying no. And two, by not working for another company, but there's the toxicity factor in people saying, and I love Gary V, but I don't think everybody should quit their job and go yard sailing and try to flip stuff <laughs> on eBay because not everybody's good at that. Right. And also I think that if somebody like me is going to work their way up through the chain of command in a nightclub that people go to and is fulfilling for them at the time, like it was for me at the time, they should absolutely do that. So so people should absolutely work social media for one of the music and entertainment season in the world, which I used to do until I said, I can't do this anymore because it was getting similar to the job I explained where I was working seven days a week. But I did all of those things and I was joyful doing them. But the most joy I've gotten is working for myself and doing these freelance things. And I can't really put a finger on it. But when I stopped collecting a paycheck and having money put into my 401k and having someone else pay my health insurance, things are really real. It's really pretty scary. But after I did it for a while, I said, "No, what? I'm in the position now where I say, I don't want to do that job that demands more of me than I want to give it. I want to just do this. And it might be harder, but I just have the attitude where I just, I want to do what makes me feel good. And I want to keep it simple like that.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people, and maybe this is just in my head, if people want to distance themselves from the corporate culture, I think it's easy to say people like that are lazy or they're selfish or whatever. And I don't think that's the case.
1: I don't think it is either.
0: Right. People want to work and people have a work ethic. I think a lot of people are tired of utilizing that work ethic and spending all that energy to make other people rich. Mm. And I think most people would work twice as hard for themselves with half the stress or with half the anger that comes with getting taken advantage of by other people. Right. So there's all this talk about the great resignation that has happened in the last two years. And it's not that people don't want to work. It's not that people are tired of working. It's that people are tired of being taken advantage of. And if there is an opportunity for people to make their own money and do it without experiencing all of the bullshit that they experience working for a corporation where they're getting a pittance compared to the people at the top who are doing the least work then I think yes. that that's what they should do and they're right for doing so.
1: I, I I think so too. And part of the complicated things with exactly your position that I 100% agree with is not everybody needs to take the self-righteous way. I'm going to take us out of the music business. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to talk about particular people I've worked for or anything. So let's say somebody works for I was going to say Walmart. Let's say Target, right? They work at Target. They're the manager there, but they're a pretty highly paid manager there. And work doesn't mean much to them except for the paycheck so that they can spend time enjoying their lives at home with their family and put a nice deposit down on a condo or a place or drive a nice car and work as that means to that end. Like, I feel like there's an invisible fight between the people that don't want to pay the dues to the man for anything. And people that are like, well, I'm a freelancer, so I'm better than you because you're working
0: a target for the man. Yeah, I would agree with that. And there's no less nobility in working for a corporation, if you're doing it for reasons that are ultimately going to benefit you in the end, look, everybody needs to make a paycheck. And if you're taking this job and you are using it to fulfill your life, then that's totally fine. That's totally valid. Because not everybody can be a successful freelancer. Right. Yeah. You know, not everybody can work for themselves. That's just not the way things things were meant to be. And I'm sure you talked about it before, but do you have clients
1: yourself? Is that part of your how you make your income?
0: No, I wish. I have a corporate job. <laughs> mm. Okay. So I'm making the man money. Mm-hmm. But part of what this podcast does it is the part that fulfills me, right? It is the part that makes me feel like I'm putting something into the world that's good and productive and positive. Yes. And ideally, I would like to, I don't know if I want this to be my primary job, but I would like to do more in the realm of helping people. And I'm trying to figure that out. But in the meantime, I have a corporate gig and it pays my bills and it pays my rent and it allows me to live a certain lifestyle. And it's fine until the moment I decide that it's not, and then I'll do something about it.
1: Or I don't know if you're like me, but when I would start like a band or something, I always think we're going to be so huge. We're going to be the best. The people are going to love us. We're going to buy a house in the Hollywood Hills <laughs> or whatever. I kind of always look at stuff like us doing our podcast, let's say or me working on a Substack piece or something. I think it's like the artist in me, the artist ego that craves attention. People know me. They're going to love this Substack post that's mostly just about how to manage your email. But yeah, it's going to take off. And I'm going to be one of those people. I'll just be creative with my podcast or my Substack or my whatever it is that I'm doing creatively to just pay the bills. I can quit my corporate job. I can quit doing this or that. I'm an eternal optimist, especially when it comes to stuff that we create. And I'm like, it might not be for you, but maybe there's some audience we haven't tapped into yet. So we're still
0: cranking out the same wall. Yeah, product. man. I don't know that I'm as optimistic as you are. I'm a pragmatist. And I realize <laughs> that there are a million podcasts out there. There are a million sub stacks out there. So for me, I'm mad at myself for using this as a comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, I don't want to be Joe Rogan. Um, Right. I don't want to be Howard Stern. I think I have the capability potentially to be Joe Rogan or Howard Stern or that level of successful. But I know that it's not guaranteed. I also realize that there are things about this podcast and a lot of the things that I talk about in my regular life that are polarizing and that people are uncomfortable talking about. I talk very openly about mental health, and there's still a Mm -hmm. wall where people don't want to talk about mental health. I talk about queerness, I talk about blackness, I talk about polyamory. Mm -hmm. And those are still things that are taboo in a lot of places. So I'm never going to be like Mr. Mainstream America. And I don't aspire to that because I I am who I am, and I'm not going to change for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that said, there's still like, I could grow this podcast by a few thousand more people. But there are times when I'm like, I don't have enough followers on Instagram. That should be bigger than this. This is me every day. Yeah. By the way. And I don't necessarily know that it's an ego thing. I think it's a, oh, I have a message. And I think that if people hear the specific message that I'm presenting, whether it is about race relations or it's about sexuality or whatever, I have experience knowing that my existence frees other people to live their live truer lives for themselves and i love Mm. the fact that someone can be like hey mike i heard you talk about open relationships or blah 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 and i had a conversation with my spouse and i feel like this is what i want to do to have that power and i think we all have that power if we really expose ourselves as the true people we are um -hmm. to have that power feels good to make someone else's life happier just by being myself that's Mm -hmm. fucking awesome so i would love to do that on a larger scale and i think it'll come with time sure but i don't necessarily want to be i don't want to be the harry styles of podcasts i don't want to be the taylor swift (laughs) of of podcasts so right right yeah i guess neither
1: do i but i can't disabuse myself of the idea that when they were going to make a sequel to the to the Batman movie. And they ended up doing that. But then they were like. I'm going to cast Robin. And it ended up being Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> I was like 14 or 15 at the time. And. I still have this thing where I'm like. They should. Let me audition. To <laughs> be Robin. Because no one cares about Batman more than I do. Don't they know that? I, I'm constantly trying to be Robin in the next Batman movie. It's like, it would never happen in a million years. But uh, I big, gotta say, boy. do uh, and this is where I, I will just express a little pride in things that I've done in my life. I've interviewed Stan Lee and I've interviewed Kevin Smith. And those are... Big fucking names. But after I inter- interviewed Stanley, I didn't hang it up. I, I kept going.
0: Right. <laughs> so There's always something else to reach for. There's always another person or people that you can reach. Like there's always a next level up. And you can't be obsessed with it, but it's good to have a goal. I want to ask, and this might be my closing question, depending on how much you want to talk about it. I saw pictures on Instagram. You recently went on vacation, which I feel like is probably not something you do very often. <laughs>
1: it's it's not but because you're a workaholic um, yes so let's talk about vacations and check out my sub for my piece i wrote about the three-day weekend and how much it fucked up a workaholic like myself because you're now jamming in five days worth of work four is, days yeah and it's either an information dump on thursday before the three-day weekend or it's i have a huge emergency on tuesday on the three-day weekend i think of 20 years of looking at emails like this and recognizing the pattern but anyways so after the pandemic my partner and i stacy we we move we end up moving because classic pandemic story like we we're going to murder each other because we we're all on top of each other. <laughs> we can't leave the house. And I'm working from home, which I hadn't been working from home before then, except for one day a week. Now I'm home all the time. So we end up moving into a new place. And then last year, I think I did my first show back like November 2021.
0: Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of anxiety grabbing boxes of N95 masks for the show, people asking for Vax cards, checked it, but like nervous, hadn't done a show in person in a long time. Anyways, but around that same time, I said my favorite band is playing in California. I know Stacey doesn't want to go, but I booked myself a flight. I went to a music festival to literally see one band, camped out, went home. And then Stacey and I both love being outdoors and camping, so I kind of recreated it this year because an artist that I like was playing out in, in Holyoke, which is not really that close. So I had the perfect plan. I said, it's her birthday weekend, book the tickets to the concert, and then instead of a hotel, we'll just go camping. And kind of hanging over it was this whole idea of this job that attend- required my attention seven days a week, but I said, Listen, I'm going away for this amount of time, so figure it out. (laughs) Because you have to really set boundaries with people, which I did, and it was fine, and they were very gracious and cool about it and everything. So we went away for a couple of days, and then the last night we did get a hotel room, and just we had the pool to ourselves, and it was great. But traditionally, every year before the pandemic, the two of us also, we would go to celebrate my birthday and my sober anniversary at... The New York Comic Con. So everyone talks about the San Diego Comic Con. Comic-Con, it's like the big deal thing. But a lot of stuff happens at the New York one. And we live on the East Coast. So it's easier to go. Easier, easier to get to. Me. And that's where I met up with my guys that I'm doing the podcast with forever. They're my childhood friends. I can go every year now since I interviewed Stanley Lee and, and Kevin Smith. I get press passes. We do an Airbnb or a nice hotel. And I can go, oh, I made it through another year sober. And we'll go see like a big movie, like we're celebrating. Like, and so, anyways, coming up, I'm going on my second vacation in, in just a few weeks. And uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I think that the important thing is downtime. And I also think another important thing is I have Slack and I have iMessages or whatever, and Gmail, and I have all this stuff on my phone, right? But I don't have notifications turned on for anything. And I I don't drive myself crazy with that stuff during the day. And after a certain point at night, even though I have to do some business with people on the West Coast because we're in the live music industry, their office isn't technically closed till 8 p.m. our time. So I kind of pay attention a little bit later. But once it's not work time, I don't work. So that's important to me. I like to yeah. do my work deeply focused and I even have a WeWork thing. So I go into WeWork and then I come home and I make dinner and we hang out, we watch TV and I'm not working. I'm not looking at my notifications on my phone.
0: I think it's really important to unplug. And that's why I was curious about your vacation because I was like, were you able to actually turn the emails off, turn the phone off and concentrate on just being clay and being in the moment and relaxing?
1: So, like, best friend in the world got married in Puerto Rico like 10 years ago. And I got up in Puerto Rico, seeing this beautiful place that President Obama had stayed in. And there's like parrots in this place, gorgeous hotel, right? And you like walk out and there's like parrots there. But I remember waking up there and opening my laptop and working for a couple hours. This time when I went camping, I kind of had it with that kind of attitude. And I, for the first time ever left my laptop at home. Cause I would always be like, what well, if something happens, I need my laptop with me to go to the cyber cafe and blah, blah, blah. No, I left it at home. I didn't like look at my email. People knew I was away and that's it. And I, I, gave, I do have somebody that helps me out. It's not like she has a salary, right? right. I said, I'm out of office reply. Something related to This, Ask Amy about it, and we'll figure it out when we get back. So, like, Amy's not going to respond to you, but somebody's looking at this, so calm down. Right. And she'll fill me in later. I come back from the vacation, and my assistant Amy, we have plans to go see Lady Gaga at Fenway Park. And I said, are you ready for Lady Gaga on Friday? And by the way, did anyone email you about whatever stuff with the concerts or the shows. She said, no one emailed, nothing happened. There was no reason for me to have brought my laptop, be stressed out about the thing. Cause I was only gone for a couple of days. Right. And that was me setting that boundary. And I feel really good about that. And leaving the laptop at home, I brought my iPad because I wanted to draw or read comic books, but I wasn't going to use the internet on it. So yeah, I, I'm actually able to, Shut it all. That I think that actually, not looking at the notifications, I think is key because you could just be doing that all day, right? And that that's not healthy. That's right. It's not going to get anything done.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it it trains your brain to just be on alert for these alarms all the time.
1: Yeah, there's no reason for it. Whatever it is, can wait. I guarantee. You.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Clay, for sharing your time, giving of your time, and sharing your wisdom and your life experiences. I hope that you enjoyed those vacations that you went on. Uh, You can find Clay at LeaguePodcast.com. You can find him at IThinkThisIsGreat.com. Follow his substack. It is Clay Inferno, C-L-A-Y-N-F-E-R-N-O. Dot substack.com. He is also on all of the socials. Uh, I believe he is Clay Inferno, and I am confirming that right now because, I don't know, I'm not very professional. Anyway, he is on Twitter at Clay Inferno, and I believe he is on Instagram at as the same, and if I messed up on that, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but once again, thank you, thank you very much, Clay, for taking the time out to chit-chat, and hopefully uh, you'll come back. And maybe I'll actually see you in Boston sometime as opposed to uh, bumping into you here in New York City. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill, or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings. Uh, follow me on social media. Like I said, uh, follow our Patreon or subscribe to my Patreon. Actually, patreon.com slash detoxicity pod. You get access to exclusive episodes. You get episodes a little earlier than the general public. You get a cool ass sticker, lots of stuff. Once again, patreon.com slash detoxicity pod. Quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and, uh, doing his magic on the logo, which was originally designed by Jacob Block. I thank you all for listening. I wish you all the best. Please take care of each other. Till next time. Peace.